I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. And welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 304. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Recording on a Saturday, that's not usual for us. It is not, uh, but that is how dedicated we are. Absolutely, and uh, I have to get this in before going to a beer fest later. You know what we're going to cover today? What are we going to cover? <laughs> On today's show, we're going to answer questions about whether chemical sunscreens can cause free radicals. We're going to answer the burning question about what our favorite heat protection products are for hair, why Nizoral might have an unexpected effect on the hair and scalp, and whether stem cell technology in professional products can actually straighten hair. But first, some of that uh, inane chit-chat of ours. Uh, What do you got going today there, Valerie? I am just trying to get caught up on some work since I've been, um, you know, out and about traveling, you know, trying to run two businesses. Uh, I I just got a little bit behind being at a trade show a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to spend this long weekend getting caught up. And of course, uh, I will be seeing some friends and hanging out though. So... You are a regular entrepreneur with the two businesses. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am back from Prague, which was lovely. Lovely city. Old. I mean, they have old stuff there, right? Wow. In the U.S., what, what's the oldest thing you think we have here in the U.S.? Maybe the... Something in Philadelphia or Washington. Right, or right. Or maybe New England, uh, Massachusetts. From the 1600s, maybe? St. Augustine. St. Augustine? Any, uh, the college? It, <laughs> the city. But I don't know oh, if any right. old buildings remain. I, I don't recall that fact. But that's, you know, that's been around for a while. But nothing will let hold a candle to Europe. Uh, exactly. I mean, they had, the, you know, it occurred to me, it's like new buildings don't seem nearly as ornate as old buildings. Nobody builds buildings like that anymore, right? No. I mean, it was an art form. And I guess now it still could be an art form in, in architecture circles. But I don't think um, the ornateness is in style. Yeah, it just must cost too much, right? Yeah. Or it's uh, outdated looking, who knows? Maybe it's not leads friendly. <laughs> you know what, you know speaking of cost too much, I think my cat has finally just knocked over three vases that cost more than the cat. So. <laughs> <laughs> is Ted a problem maker? Theodore Logan, they, you know, I was talking to the shelter people and they're like, "Oh, you took Ted." And I was like, yeah, I was going to take these other ones, but, you know, there was two cats you had to take by the, uh, together. And they said, oh, well, Ted's like having two cats. <laughs> like, what? You didn't tell me <laughs> that before you I got that. him. <laughs> oh, I wonder uh, if he's a Gemini with his multiple oh, you know, he's, personalities. He's a, he, he could be whack sometimes. I mean, cats are supposed to sleep like 20 hours a, a day, right? This cat sleeps maybe two. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. Are we ready for some beauty science news? Yeah, let's head there. Well, there are a couple of stories that were interesting. Uh, why don't you tell us the first one about a lawsuit? Yeah, so Estee Lauder is being sued because of their face scanning technology. And I found this one interesting because I actually also uh, have developed a virtual product 
uh, when I was at the big hair brand that uh, scanned um, hair and scalp. And I remember going through a lot of challenges with uh, our legal team and, uh, you know, uh, VP of technology because consumer privacy is so, so huge. And we had to make sure uh, that when we were collecting the information, it wasn't personally identifiable and that people had some sort of um, consent. It's, it's very tricky. So anyway, Estee Lauder has a virtual makeup try-on feature, and they were hit with a proposed class action that alleges this uh, makeup try-on feature scans the consumer's face without their consent. Isn't just using the app giving your consent or something? Yes, but when the plaintiff, uh, I guess, had this app experience, she claimed that it did not inform her that it is collecting and storing her biometric information. Ah, and I see it's my, my the fair state of Illinois in which I reside uh, is mm-hmm. responsible for the law, the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act, so companies aren't allowed to do that. Well, you know, I'm sure Estee Lauder did some of the research, or may- maybe they didn't. Uh, states, you know, have all these different features, but... You know, who knows what the app is really collecting and storing? Who knows if it's personally sure. identifiable? That would be another feature. And all this would be in the um, proprietary information that Estee Lauder has. So hopefully they just come forward with, you know, their algorithm, what's stored, how it's stored, where it's used. Uh, is it identifiable to the plaintiff? That sort of thing. Maybe they will... Um, show that they're not in violation or maybe they're in violation who knows right well companies certainly have been a bit loosey-goosey with this privacy stuff right yeah well it's it's really uh it's really challenging and i think you know the online world is so new that you know we have to get this information straight but what's not new is companies using and selling your information it happens all the time um your banks do it the utility companies do it well, all of those smart devices, making your home smart is just making the companies that create those devices smart and they're yeah. selling the information about you, right? Yeah. If you use a Bitmoji uh, app, you are giving them permission to record everything you type on your keyboard. So, wow. yeah, I mean, you have to read, if you really are concerned about privacy, you, everything you do and engage in and type your email address into, you need to be reading that company's privacy policy because by doing so giving them your information or downloading and using something, especially if it's free, uh, you're giving away something in exchange for that. And it's in the fine print and it's up to you uh, to read that. Right. They say if you're getting something for free, you're the product. (laughs) That's what they say. (laughs) That's a good one. I haven't heard that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I saw a lawsuit too. It seems like lawsuits are the thing, uh, the way to make money in the cosmetic industry. And this one... It's a lawsuit faced by the company Bondi Sands. Uh, Actually, uh, Bondi is named after uh, the famous Australian beach in, I think it's in Sydney, Bondi Beach. I Actually, when I was in Sydney, I ran from downtown all the way to that beach just to see it. And Very then cool. Ran back. So, <laughs> how many kilometers was it? I know you usually track in miles, but it was. Uh, I think it was like a little six miler. So, yeah. All right. Was, all right. It was. It was some miles. Well, it turns out this uh, popular Australian sun care brand is being sued in the class action lawsuit over claims that its sunscreens are harmful to the environment 
despite their own claims to be reef-friendly. It's been accused of greenwashing its sunscreens by falsely marketing them to U.S. consumers as safe for the environment. A class action lawsuit was filed in your good state of California, mostly because I think California has a law uh, specifically outlawing this kind of marketing. Yeah, well, this one's a tough one, Perry, and I'd love to know what you think about it. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm torn, right? Because on the one hand, I think the claims of something being reef safe are disingenuous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I don't think one sunscreen is any more reef safe than another sunscreen. They're all the same, you know. Now, there have been some studies on certain chemicals that have shown certain things under unrealistic lab conditions. So to me, that does not prove that something like oxybenzone, which has been restricted in some states and some areas, that doesn't say to me that that actually is scientifically been demonstrated. So that's why I think the claim of reef safe is disingenuous because all of them are all the same level of reef safeness. The thing that's really hurting the coral reefs is global warming and the, the acidification of the oceans. And your sunscreen is like way down on the list to a level that's not measurable. So I think it's a disingenuous claim. But on the other hand, this this lawsuit seems disingenuous to me too because they're not doing anything that anybody else isn't doing, right? Exactly. It's interesting because this claim of reef safe has evolved over the years to reef friendly. And there are a couple bodies that will give you a reef friendly certification and to be reef-friendly, typically your sunscreen it mostly applies to sunscreens, but uh, it has to be formulated without certain UV filters like oxybenzone, octanoxate, octocrylene, homosalate, avobenzone, PABA, basically the quote-unquote chemical sunscreens. I know, um, right. you know that's a term that's hated, but that's how consumers know them. But additionally, I've seen it evolve to, it can't just be the sunscreens, uh, other ingredients are being added, parabens, phthalates, triclosan, microplastics, no nanomaterials, because those things also are shown to be toxic to coral reefs. And then uh, I've seen that the sunscreen has to be water resistant as well, so that it's not washing off, which... You know, I think would be a a pretty cool piece of the criteria. And then there's one testing facility that actually moved away from reef safe or uh, reef friendly. And they actually call it a protect land and sea certification where they have these same criterias, but it's not necessarily just for coral reefs. They've they've moved away from that. Really, it means that it can't contain any chemicals that are on a list of known pollutants in different environments like freshwater streams, rivers, beaches, ocean systems, or a threat to wildlife. And so they have this list and they analyze your product for them. And sunscreen is uh, actives are just some of the materials on there, but they also have uh, many other compounds on there that they check for. The thing to note about these certification ones is it's just somebody made this up. It's not Mm -hmm. government-sponsored. It's not legally binding. It's just some company decided that they could do a certification and make a little money off that, and you see tons of these things. Uh, All of these things, really, the EWG, there's nothing official about them. They just call themselves a certifier. Even something like Leaping Bunny, 
that's just somebody made that up, right? <laughs> and uh, so, so now somebody has made up a, a reef-friendly uh, certification too. Anybody can, but that also means that any company that wants to claim that, they can make up their own standards. So we'll see where this lawsuit goes. I guess in the lawsuit, that's where it'll come out, like whose version of what reef safes is appropriate will come out. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't, I don't think uh, this lawsuit will go anywhere. Maybe it'll settle out of court or something. I don't, I don't know. But yeah. it would be the uh, the Bondi people would be hard pressed to settle something like this because they might want to continue to make this claim because other brands are still making these claims. Yeah, I will say we'll probably never know because as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, it seems we never get any follow up on what happens with these lawsuits. Yeah, typically they're just settled and <laughs> lawyers get paid and everyone's just Yeah, or they don't want to tell you what they again. settled for right. if they, you know, went to court or whatever. So Exactly. Hey, before we get to the recall corner, we're having a little giveaway on Patreon, aren't we? We are. So we do not take ads on this podcast. We are fully supported by you guys, our listeners, and our patrons on Patreon. And we want to do a little something special for our patrons. We've done, you know, a couple, um, you know, online webinars. We release episodes early to the patrons and we've done a couple giveaways in the past, but not product giveaways. And that's something you guys asked for. So we actually are doing our very first product giveaway of a brand called Vrea Cosmetics. They have a four-in-one under eye concealer, uh, under eye masks, which I've used. They're very good. And they have a new product launching in June. And we were actually a little late posting some of our episodes. So we actually are going to extend uh, the entry date uh, for this giveaway to June 15th. Uh, we will pull the winner. Um, you will be connected with the brand and they will uh, get you one full set of their entire product collection uh, that they have. Thank you everyone so much for supporting the show if you do on Patreon. And Perry, how does someone help support and cover the basic costs of running our podcast? Yeah, if you want to get entered into this and he get all of the great uh, things that we give away on uh, Patreon, and Patreon, and especially uh, you get to ask your questions and we prioritize those questions, you can go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level. We have uh, a recall, Valerie. We've got two recalls. Uh, so the first one that I saw, Henkel recalls Alterna Bond Repair Leave-In Heat Protection Spray because it was contaminated with a organism, a bacteria called Burkholderia cepatia. Whoa. Yeah. You know, I thought, I thought I saw an ad for a preservative in one of the trade journals it, that had like a little powdered thing and it says... <laughs> I, I got to go uh, be sepatia my face. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw the uh, ingredient list of this stuff, and hmm, I'm, I'm left scratching my head. Well, this uh, organism, B. sepatia, is a gnarly organism. It is a gram-negative bacteria. It's harmful to consumers, um, very dangerous. The FDA is concerned about it, and now it's... Uh, required um, when you're doing your preservative testing. Um, it, it's part of one of the new USP methods uh, to test for this organism because it is considered a super bug. Um, it's not a very good microorganism to come into contact with. And 
you know, if you use even a really strong preservative system, you can have challenges counteracting this bacteria. I have some experience with it. So if they're not using a great preservative system to begin with, I am not surprised that this organism became prevalent in this product. But you would say a big company like Henkel, um, they would, of course, use a great preservative system, right? They wouldn't tinker with uh, these natural, barely functional ones, right? Unless you get some new chemist in there who's just like, or a chemist who has a personal belief system, and then they're kind of allowed to use whatever preservatives they want. Um, But, you know, in my prior work, when I led an R&D team, we had an approved list of preservative systems that could be used because we had experience in our different manufacturing facilities, and we knew what preservative systems work best in those facilities. And you know, that can't be perfect every time. A lot of things go into manufacturing. And I'm sure under ordinary conditions, you know, this preservative system, it could be fine that they used. But sure. uh, when you get a super bug like B. sapasia um, in a system and, you know, a little bit breaks loose in a little biofilm, uh, that preservative system um, just isn't going to cut it because even the strongest ones wouldn't. Well, they also have a ton of natural stuff in here. Food for organisms. Their mm-hmm. ferments, their hydrolyzed proteins, um, caviar extract. <laughs> yeah, that's part <laughs> so, of the alternative thing. Yeah. Sure, sure. I, I, I get it. I get it. But if you look at the preservative system they have, I mean, they have some stuff, benzyl alcohol, they have dehydroacetic acid, but... Then they have this uh, Lucanish radish fruit root ferment. Listen, radish root ferment is not a good preservative system. So I know it's popular. To, in- you do have to use a lot of it. Um, you know, yeah. that requires like, you know, two minimum with some co-preservatives up to 4%. And I can tell you it's not at 4% on this ingredient yeah. list. And they have yeah. potassium benzoate, sodium. I mean, they have There's a lot There's probably a lot of there. preservatives at very low levels. And yeah. unfortunately... Probably, um, probably just not enough. Well, and you know that the product passed their stability testing, their micro testing. I mean, this is a big company; they're not. They for sure being, did that. Yeah. So you might be saying, how could it pass a preservative efficacy test, but still have this in manufacturing? Two reasons: one, when you do preservative efficacy testing, you're taking these neatly brewed cultures of microorganisms and, and popping them into the product. You're not in the wild. You're not experiencing the wild type of this yeah. of these organisms. And B. sapasta is probably not the only organism in this facility. It's not just like, oh, we've only got one bacteria in here. You know, there's a, you know a few, right? And again, cosmetics don't have to be sterile to be produced. So, in the wild, this probably got a little bit out of control, and it just overcame whatever system versus testing um, testing in real life. The second thing is. Preservation is just one part of the whole picture. You have to have uh, very good, clean manufacturing practices. And, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but you could have the best preservation system in the world and stuff still happens because maybe the batch got heated too long and denatured some of the preservatives. Or maybe, you know, someone didn't clean out the line very well and something grew and then it broke off in the product and it was just too much for the product to handle. So there still has to be some good good manufacturing practices. Preservation's a really comprehensive strategy. It's not just, oh, let me load up a product with something. Yeah. Well, at least they recalled it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see that. 
And speaking of recalls, there was another one that was recently came out. The FDA posted a recall alert for the Higher Education Makeout Ready Vegan Lip Balm, the SPF 15. Yeah. It turns out that the active ingredient list on the label doesn't match what the product's actual ingredients are. And specifically, the label stated that it has octanoxate 7.5% and oxybenzone 3%, but the product that it contained is oxynoxate 7.5%. Octosalate 5%, octocrylene 5%, and avobenzone 3%. Hmm. So, oops. Yeah. <laughs> so, 17,000 units were recalled by the FDA. Now, the thing is that since this is making SPF claims, that makes this a drug product. So, the FDA actually has more power uh, when it comes to a drug product. So, they can force a recall, which clearly they did. Yeah, and how this type of thing usually gets caught is a brand has a label. They have to register it with the FDA, and then the manufacturer has to register the SPF product with the FDA, and they maybe looked and saw if the two submissions matched, uh, the artwork Ah. versus what the manufacturer actually submitted, or the manufacturer was audited, and this is one of the products that they pulled to audit the label versus the actual manufacturing records and they caught a discrepancy. That's my guess what happened here. FDA hard at work. It does demonstrate to you how cosmetics are regulated and the fact that this is a over-the-counter drug, it just gets more scrutiny than if this was a cosmetic. If this was a cosmetic product, you might not, this might not have happened. The FDA would have never have happened. No, no one would have yeah. caught on, yeah. Exactly. All right, we have our celebrity launch Another one this year, Kate Hudson. Yeah, she's uh, Goldie Hawn's daughter, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She was originally with Juice Beauty, I guess. Yeah, she was a Juice Beauty affiliate, yeah. And then she worked with them to create her own chemical-free collection. (laughs) Uh, Wow, Wow. I love that it's so chemical-free. So she's going to be selling empty bottles to everybody. Chemical free. Oh, my God. Do we do we sound elitist that we scoff at the claims of chemical free? Well, it's just ridiculous because, you know, she's making a statement that by avoiding products with parabens, she's noticed better results on her skin. It's uh, ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is ridiculous. Unless she has some particular... Um, sensitivity to parabens, which I highly doubt. And also, doesn't she just get her face like professionally done? <laughs> I'm sure she's not using Juice Beauty products. Or if she is, I'm sure the real results are coming from injectables, facials, sure. laser treatments, going to the dermatologist and getting things done. Yeah. You know, in, in looking at her, she's very beautiful, but probably no stranger to those treatments. <laughs> Indeed, I do have to wonder. She's launching a juice a product with Juice Beauty. Does that mean all the other Juice Beauty products are no good? <laughs> like, where? Why did the world need something from Kate Hudson? <sighs> I don't know. Uh, you know, it's all about celebrity power. Um, celebrities sure. sell. That's why all these celebrities are coming out with their own brands uh, because they have that recognition. They have the platform already, and that's all I can think of. 
Oh, no, no, it's always been a curious thing to me. Like, when L'Oreal comes out with a sulfate-free shampoo, I just says to me, like, does that mean your other ones aren't any good because they have sulfates in <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I remember when Tresemme came out with a, a shampoo that said uh, sul- lower sulfates, um, and then it was, like, compared to our other shampoo. It was just like, okay, so it's probably 0.1% difference. It was totally right. stupid. And it, but, but it's also like, so your other shampoo is crap now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It seems like a bad marketing idea. But, you know, hey, they keep doing it, so it must be working. Yeah. We ready for some beauty questions? I'm sure the audience is. Yeah. Our first question comes to us from our uh, biggest fan, as he claims, on Patreon, Timothy. Although next week you'll find out somebody else claims that they're our biggest fan. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Hi, Beauty Brains. Please forgive me for asking 7,490 questions lately. They just keep coming up. I recently saw this post that stated that chemical sunscreens cause free radicals. I know the UV rays are absorbed and converted to heat, so I started to think this made sense. So first, is this true about free radicals? If true, then why would this person seem to think this is limited to chemical filters, since mineral filters also absorb rays, not just bouncing them off like people think? Thanks for all you do, Timothy. This is a really good question. Yeah, I saw the Instagram post, uh, Susie. And she does make the claim that chemical sunscreens are, she says, chemical sunscreens are the last thing you want to be applying to your skin. They can not only disrupt your hormones, but can cause free radical damage. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm curious where she got that from. Yeah, because that's like kind of the opposite um, of what I've heard. Now, there are some challenges with a couple of the, you know, non-physical sunscreen filters. Sure. Avobenzone, I know, has to be used in combination with other items, except for octanoxate, uh, because on its own, avobenzone's not very stable when it uh, absorbs the UV light. It can break apart and cause some challenges. And then avobenzone, when combined with octanoxate, I believe, can also have uh, some issues and generate free radicals. So as a formulator, I think you, you just avoid those, right? You avoid those combinations. Well, I do have just a a suggestion about maybe where this came from. There was an article published in 2008 in Photochemistry and Photobiology called Characterization of DNA Damage Inflected by Free Radicals from a Mutagenic Sunscreen Ingredient, uh, blah, blah, blah. Essentially, they did an in vitro test to assess the potential genotoxicity of uh, an illuminated sunscreen. And you know what sunscreen they tested? Patamate O. Which isn't even used, right? Right, it's not used, of course. So they said, so this this chemical sunscreen, you, you zap it, it can create a free radical, it can attack the DNA. You know, of course, in, in a little Petri dish where it's like right on the cell. And the, they also said that the damage could be completely suppressed if they used free radical quenchers uh, like dimethyl sulfoxide. So even if it was happening, you just include this in. But but the bottom line is nobody's using Patamino, and this, yeah. so they didn't show this with any of the other uh, chemical sunscreens. So that could be where that like all these things are based on like a little tiny tiny kernel of truth, and then you just sort of blow it out. It's like oh, it's that one. It's it's all of them. But yeah. that's not the case. Not the case. No, not at all. 
The other thing that I did see is there's an article published in, in 2012, and I, and I bring this up because it says, uh, her suggestion is stay away from the chemical sunscreens, go with the mineral sunscreens. Well, this wah, article- wah. We got some news for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this article basically was claiming that zinc oxide, uh, when exposed to sunlight, uh, undergoes a chemical reaction that may release unstable molecules known as free radicals. And uh, these could in turn increase the risk of skin cancer. So, you know, zinc oxide has this problem. And so does that mean we should be afraid of zinc oxide in our sunscreens? Yeah, exactly. I I mean, I think that, that it goes back to using a sunscreen from a company that has experienced formulators that's going around these issues, including these free radical quenchers, uh, antioxidants, right. um, making sure that avobenzone and other filters are formulated appropriately. The industry knows what the challenges are, or I shouldn't say challenges, what the limitations are of some of these ingredients. So I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about. I don't either. Feel free to use your sunscreens, whether they're the chemical or as I like to call them, organic chemical sunscreens. <laughs> or your zinc oxides, those are fine too. Uh, These things have been safety tested. They've looked at whether these things create free radicals and then go on to cause more damage or they're they're quelched properly. Uh, This isn't a thing to worry about. And, you know, wear sunscreens, people. It protects your skin. Exactly. You know, I I probably should wear more sunscreen. I, I go outside every day. Although I clothe up a lot, I you know I wear a hat, and but I suppose my I could probably wear it more often, right? I it's think just so. So inconvenient to put on. <laughs> I know you got to make it part of your routine, right? And then you have to shower every day. Do you know what you need? Why? You need a challenge, Perry. That's what you need. I do. <laughs> Next question. Lupita from Instagram asks. What are your favorite heat protection products for hair? Also, what are your thoughts on the TikTok videos that go to Sally Beauty or Target and show toxic versus clean shampoos? Hmm. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. So I'll I'll go into my favorite heat protection products for hair because that's a topic I, you know, I enjoy. Um, you know, recall aside, uh, the Alterna heat protected protecting spray is actually a, a pretty nice product. Uh, if you're willing to give that a try, I really enjoy that. Um, I hate to just don't get the one that was recalled. You know, <laughs> look yeah, for the lots that check, weren't recalled. Yeah, check the batch codes. Um, I always right. really enjoyed the Living Proof Perfect Hair Day five in one styling treatment because uh, it was a really good uh, blowout blowout primer. And I think you get a uh, hair that looks really full and uh, heat protection up to 450 degrees, which is typically tested with a flat iron. And uh, it, you know, it's easy to go through the hair. And I also uh, like the fragrance of that, of that product. What were the five and what five things are in the one? Like, oh, you know, it's like shine, UV protection, thermal, you know, th- that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, I guess you can make up five things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I actually, uh, you know, worked at a brand and we had a product uh, in in the Neuro brand, uh, which was the Neuro Prime Blowout Protection Spray. And this is a product that performed so incredibly in thermal testing uh, that we did. We did a few uh, different types of uh, thermal evaluation on it when I was there. 
And uh, yeah. that product is really incredible. It's lightweight. It uses a molecule, which is one of my favorite molecules for heat protection, uh, called polyurethane 48. Uh, check for that in products if you see that. Offers really great, uh, great heat protection. And then a product I'm not necessarily a super fan of, uh, but people in the salon seem to really love this one is the Orbe Royal Blowout Heat Styling Spray. Uh, people, I don't know any, by the way, I don't know anything about the actual heat protection values that these products offer because I'm not privileged to the testing that they did. Uh, sure, yeah. But from a uh, styling point of view, I always remember when we evaluated uh, the Orbe Royal Blowout Heat Styling Spray, uh, the stylist seemed to like that one. Um, you know, but it's 69 bucks, so a little on the pricier side. Uh, but look for brands actually claiming a temperature of, you know, 400 degrees Fahrenheit or 450 degrees Fahrenheit, because that means they've probably done some testing. You just can't make that claim and, and throw a, a figure in there. You actually have to do that testing. That sounds reasonable. I honestly, when I worked, um, specifically on these types of heat protection things I, I never found them to be particularly effective and the it seemed to me the better strategy was just to accept that heat products are going to damage your hair and make sure you use a good conditioner yeah well even with these you know your hair is still going to get damaged i personally recommend using like a blowout type cream and then for the hair dryer, because even if you're just blow drying your hair, you need a thermal protectant. If you're going to additionally curl or flat iron your hair, I recommend a topical spray on top of that. An aerosol like Paul Mitchell Hot Off the Press uh, is a really good one with good uh, thermal protection data behind it. Because those actually have polymers in there, and not only are they going to help extend your style uh, through th this polymer, but the polymer is going to help additionally you know, afford a little more protection to your hair from the heat. So uh, just make sure to spray each tress uh, before you put the iron on it. All right. And the app called Yuka. So I was looking at this this Toxic Verse Clean Shampoo. Yeah. What it, I don't, I'm unfamiliar with this Yuka, but essentially you can scan a... It's an app. A UPC code, yep. and then it's going to give you a score based on some hazard rating. Is that the EWG yeah, hazard rating Yeah, and we've or seen some of these apps before. Same stuff, different day. Uh, you know, we've seen it. And basically, uh, they're pulling data from somewhere. I don't know where. And they're telling you whether or not your product has toxic ingredients in it. And... People are going on TikTok, creating these videos, walking into, in this case, a Target, a Sally Beauty, and it's toxic versus clean shampoo. And they'll just go scan a bunch of products and show you whether or not they have greens or yellows or oranges or whatever, you know, reds, don't use it. And using that as a baseline to tell you whether or not your product is toxic or safe to be used. And I just, I don't like that. Well, yeah, it's a shows it demonstrates a, a misunderstanding of toxicology and the idea of the dose making the poison. It doesn't matter how much of a thing you're exposed. To. I mean, it matters how much of a thing you're exposed to. The, the you can be exposed to too much water and it could be toxic to you. You know, yeah. people die of water poisoning all the time. 
um, you know, drowning it's called. <laughs> um, so uh, there do to just rate things. It's they probably uses the EWG Skin Deep database, but to rate things just based on a, a, a like a dumb number that uh, it just doesn't tell you anything. So this is just this is just the theater of uh, safety. It's not actually making you safer if you're buying products from Target and they're made by reputable companies, those things are safe to use. They're, they're not, they're, and one a product is not safer than another product. It's, it's just ridiculous. So I wouldn't rely on the apps. I wouldn't rely on the videos that are showing you how the apps are working, Lupita. I would just uh, trust us, um, trust your right. gut that <laughs> products are safe. And if your hair is looking good, uh, you're feeling good. And, you know, trust Target because... <laughs> If Target's selling it, they're on the hook for what they're selling to. We have an audio question. Ooh. Comes to us from Michelle. Hi, Valerie and Perry. I have been dealing with some dandruff in my hair and recently tried Nizoral shampoo. Nizoral contains the antifungal ketoconazole and can apparently affect the color and texture of your hair and make your hair or your scalp either more dry or more oily. In my case, I left the shampoo on my scalp for about 10 minutes and then rinsed. And the next day, I noticed that my hair that had been in contact with the shampoo was surprisingly smooth and straighter than usual, almost as if I'd blown out my hair. Can you talk about why Nizoral might have had all these effects on hair and scalp and why, in my case, it might have made my hair smoother and straighter? Thanks a lot. Have you ever heard of this, the Nizoral making her hair smoother and straighter? Uh, I have not. Um, you know, I'm familiar with it as an antifungal for uh, dandruff treatment, and it works really well. You can get 1% over the counter in the United States, 2% through a doctor. I think the 1% is blue and the 2% is red or something like that. And it works because it is a, a drug product, basically. You'll have uh, an OTC label on it and, uh, you know, an over-the-counter, the drug facts information label. I haven't heard um, anything about it modifying hair. Uh, I, you know, I think some people have reported, you know, based on some just online searches with side effects that people have reported a change in their hair texture, which is interesting. I don't know what about this uh, steroid would be causing that. I'm not sure, um, you know, what would be reacting, but. You know, I would imagine right. if you've left it on for 10 minutes, you're going to get some penetration of some actives uh, into the hair fiber and maybe cause some, you know, changes. I'm not sure what they would be, and I haven't found any any studies on the why of that. What's interesting is, um, you know, this is a shampoo, so it has to be aesthetically pleasing. It does have an ingredient called polycoternium 7 present in it, which is a really nice conditioning agent for hair. Yeah, exactly. So that may be contributing some of the effect that we're seeing uh, within the product. That would be my guess, too. The Polyquat 7, um, everything else should be washed away. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's nothing that I know about the ketoconazole that would uh, have that kind of effect on hair. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It would be interesting to study. And, you know, maybe the pH of the product plays a role with a, the ability to penetrate. Um, you know, who knows? Um, 
but you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, I really don't yeah. know the answer. I wish I did. Um, you know, again, some of the side effects reported are abnormal hair texture. And maybe in this case, abnormal is a good thing because uh, you really liked how it turned out. Uh, but, you know, as far as the mechanism goes, you know, I'm not aware of any published literature on the mechanism of why hair texture is changing. Yeah. Interestingly enough, they it looks like they probably haven't changed this formula in quite a long time. I see a preservative in there that uh, most people avoid these days. Quaternium 15. Yeah. Yeah. That used to be the preservative in Johnson Johnson's baby shampoo too. Until, until consumers they, outcried. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nope. So it's a perfectly safe one, but it's just not very popular anymore. Yeah. Well, Michelle, uh, thanks for the great question. I wish we actually had an answer for you. I think some of the conditioning effects you're seeing are coming from the polyquaternium 7. And I hope that your uh, scalp is left in good shape from the active ketoconazole in there that's actually treating your dandruff. All right, we got one more question here, Valerie. This one comes to us from Etnia. It says, love your show because of the misinformation that runs on all social media is horrible, and I've learned a lot from you. I want to ask you if it is safe for my health and my hair to use the Lys Expert Stem Cell to straighten my hair. Stem cells to straighten hair. Yeah. Uh, List Expert USA. Have you heard of this product? Is this one's new to me? This brand? I have not. And when I'm looking at the branding, I honestly feel like they've ripped off um, L'Oreal Professional USA. Uh, the logo is very uh. similar. Um, you know, <laughs> and it it just you know kind of looks the same. And maybe maybe not ripped off. Maybe they just emulated. It. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like they, very similarly. <laughs> yeah, they are inspired by some of the branding uh, that L'Oreal uses. Uh, so I've not heard of this brand, and honestly, uh, they did not offer a whole lot of information about their products. I do mm. see that they say the product is cleared by the FDA, uh, their straightening product. Like the FDA does not authorize straightening products. No, they don't clear them. Uh, they say okay. that the smoothing system works at the stem cells level. Uh, I would hope not. Uh, because that means it's uh, penetrating into your skin and um, and living where you know your stem cells are, which is uh, not great. Uh, but I think the biggest that would be in the hair follicle. That's where the stem cells. Like yeah, it's not like the hair on top of your head. So yeah, no, no, <laughs> no stem gonna, cells there. Yeah, they're gonna straighten the cells. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on here? And I couldn't find any ingredients. Um, although you can get the product uh, through their distributors, their professional network. eBay also has. Lots and lots of product available there. So someone's diverting it through there. But um, there's not a lot of public information about what is actually in these products. And I have never seen a bottle. Maybe the ingredients on there. But honestly, it's really unlikely if they're professional products. Because in the United States and Canada, it is not legally required to have product labeling, uh, disclosing ingredient lists on professional products. That is one way to get around uh, labeling. The reason that most professional products still will do that is because they don't want to just sell to professionals. They want to sell to consumers. Yeah. And so uh, when you see a professional brand in a Target, they're going to have to follow the consumer labeling rules and they can no longer just do professional labeling rules. Additionally, if you're a global brand uh, and you don't want to carry multiple packaging variations, you're going to label the products because it's required right. for the geographies. 
Additionally, I just think it's very uh, ancient. It's an ancient practice to not put anything on there, even if you're only sold in the United States, because I think consumers have a right to know what's in their products. And if the product is being used on a consumer, although it's only sold through professional channels and is labeled a professional product, I believe the consumer has a right to know what's in it and ask the stylist what's being used on them. And that's just my personal opinion. It's, you know, not the law. I wish it were the law. But um, it also seems like there's not that same marketing cachet when you're doing that. Like, yeah, so people who do that, like you said, they're like old fashioned. You're like, uh, you know, get with the times uh, professional product. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Etnia, I'm sure the product is. Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about the product. I can't say I'm sure it's fine. Uh, But uh, I would contact the brand, ask them if they'll provide you an ingredient list for it. And then maybe we can take a look a little bit more. Uh, but it's likely not using stem cell technology. It's likely not working at the stem cell level. You know, we, we just don't know. We don't have enough information. Yeah. And but I would say, you know, if it was messing up with your stem cells, um, that probably make it an illegal drug. You know, Perry, with all this cosmetics regulation that's going on, you know, there's a new FDA uh there's a bill that includes some stuff about the FDA and uh, Senator Feinstein slipped some cosmetic stuff in there. Uh, you know, maybe this is op- my opportunity to peddle that professional products should have uh, labeling. Yeah, I'm saying, oh, I, I wish there was something we'll... I could do. I, I could be politically active. <laughs> you could be. It seems like it's going to take a lot of time away from the beauty brains. And my and my businesses. <laughs> and, oh, that's right. You, you're running two businesses, and now you're going to become politically active. Yeah. All right. How about uh, we wrap this up? <laughs> Yeah. I hear the music. <laughs> yeah, let's get out of here and get on with our Saturdays. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. As you heard in the beginning of the show, if you want to support the show and keep us ad-free, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. If you get a chance, also head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you want to get your voice on the show and you have a question, just record it on a smartphone and then email that to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. We have a Facebook page and a future TikTok. Yay! All right, well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens!